I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. Gillespie is the co-president of Constituting America, a nonprofit dedicated to educating kids about the Constitution and the importance of civics education. She's doing this at a time when, according to a recent study, fewer than half of the nation's eighth graders actually know the purpose of the Bill of Rights. And if that weren't bad enough, only one quarter of all high school seniors can name a single power granted to Congress by the Constitution. That lack of understanding about civic responsibility has also contributed to significant voter apathy over the last several years. Kathy and her wonderful counterpart, Janine Turner, are using Constituting America and a number of innovative approaches to address this challenge. Their approach is especially designed to resonate with their target audience, kids. Kathy, welcome to She Said, She Said. Well, thank you. I'm just honored to be with you this afternoon. Well, I'm so delighted to have you, and I'm excited to talk about Constituting America. Tell me what Constituting America is. Well, Constituting America is a nonpartisan educational foundation that the actress Janine Turner founded, uh, and I've served as her co-chair since the beginning in the year 2010, and we educate both students and adults about the U.S. Constitution. We do that in an innovative way through the culture. We utilize the arts, we utilize music, short film, television to get students excited about the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, so I wanna, I wanna talk a bit about the programs and how you bring this to light, but let's start with how did this start? Where did the idea come from and what inspired Janine to to take this on as a cause? Well, you know, Janine has always been interested in our founding fathers. She likes to tell the story that in, I think it was fifth grade, her teacher had the class do the musical 1776. And she played Thomas Jefferson's wife, Martha Jefferson, and fell in love with the founding fathers at that time. And that's just an example of how the arts and how the culture can inspire a young person to get it excited about our history and about the United States Constitution. And she continued that that interest throughout her life, throughout her career. But when her daughter got into school, she began to be concerned as she saw that Juliet was really not learning the Constitution and learning our country's history like Janine remembered learning it. And that all came to a head when uh, she began listening to Hillsdale's online constitution classes. And she just said, you know, I could take my expertise in the arts and, and combine it with this passion that I have for history and for our United States Constitution and do something really innovative. And 
form a foundation. So we had gotten to be friends in 2004 and when I headed up W Stands for Women for the Bush Cheney campaign. Uh-huh. And we had stayed in touch since then. And one day she just called me up, told me her fear that the kids weren't learning the Constitution like they used to, and she wanted to start a foundation, and she asked me if I'd co-chair it with her. And I was really interested because I was at that time a stay-at-home mom and looking for something to do that I could use my the talents that I had accumulated over my career and thought it would be a wonderful thing where I could have an impact on our next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing you and knowing your husband, Ed Gillespie, I suspect your children's experience as it relates to civic education was somewhat different. But were you seeing similar sort of threat, similar to what Janine was seeing with Juliet? Were you seeing that with your children's formal education as well? You know, overall, yes. I was concerned, even just in the culture in general, that people just tend to not know about our country's founding, about our founding principles. They don't know what one branch is supposed to do versus another. And as a matter of fact, a a recent Annenberg Foundation poll said that more than one in three people could not name a single right protected by the First Amendment. And I think only one in four, like 26%, could name all three branches of the government. And, you know, Annenberg does this poll every year on civic education, mm-hmm. and, and that's down from 2011 when 38% could name all three branches. So yeah. it's just the civic knowledge in our society as a whole is declining. Yeah. So so what's your biggest concern as it relates to that decline in knowledge about our democracy and why it matters? Well, people aren't informed voters, and they or they're getting their news and sound bites and tweets and and if one branch begins to encroach on another branch uh, no one will know what if they don't know what the responsibilities of each branch of government they won't know when one oversteps its bounds or even why you have a particular structure of government I've seen some recent um, polling that points to uh, you know they've asked high school kids how much does it matter that we're a democracy versus a military state? I said, mm-hmm. doesn't matter at all. Right, exactly. That's and socialism, you know, tends to be on the rise. And it, as far as young people's, uh, you know, where they would like to see our country go. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes is from John Adams, liberty cannot be preserved without a general knowledge of the people. It, it comes down to preserving our freedom is what it really comes down to. If we don't know our freedoms, we don't know our rights, we don't know when they're taken away. You mentioned that constituting America basically takes the arts and brings the Constitution to life. Give us a few examples of some of the programs and some of the ways in which this works. Well, it's just really exciting because we have a our cornerstone program is a contest for kids, and they can compete for best song, best short film, best public service announcement. We've also added other categories over the years like STEM, entrepreneurship, and you know the good old essay that everybody tends to compete in. But once the kids win with our song winners, we actually get the songs played on the radio, the winning songs played on the radio. Our songs right now, I think, have over 102 million impressions played on over 83 radio stations across the nation. We get the PSAs played on TV. Our PSAs have had over 6 million impressions played on, I think, 283 television stations across the nation. And we get the short films entered into film festivals and accepted. Our films have been accepted into I think it's like 28 film festivals and over 60,000 film festival goers. So not only are the kids learning 
by creating, they are impacting the culture with the Constitution and with their winning works, which is really, uh, you know, it, it's in, it's empowering for the kids. We had one young lady who told us that she was home. Uh, she was our best high school PSA winner. And she said, all of a sudden, my mom started yelling from the living room, your PSA's on TV. And she ran in and she said, and there it was, my PSA was being played on TV. And it gives the kids confidence and they can go forward uh, with their careers. And that's, you know, we want to help these kids that have a heart for the U.S. Constitution propel their careers. Mm -hmm. So your target audience in terms of kids, it's seven or eight to high school or? Yeah, all the way into college and grad school. We have something for all ages. The Our younger kids in elementary school compete with best art and uh, poem. And then we take their artwork and we actually put it on note cards. We sell the note cards. Uh, actually brought some for you today. Oh, good. <laughs> Terrific. And the poems uh, are just wonderful. And we you know, put those on our website. Our poet judge is uh, the former Texas poet laureate. Did you know Texas has a poet laureate? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> She's an Aggie to boot, Carla no Morton. Oh, wow. So and she encourages the kids and mentors them with her poetry. As we promote these kids' careers, we've seen some real successes. Mm-hmm. We had one of our best song winners, she won Best Middle School Song in 2011, and five years later, she was in the top 12 finalists in the TV show The Voice. That's amazing. That's really amazing. So when you think about the organization itself, and you think about how you measure success, right? You can look at individual examples mm-hmm. of kids that go on to do amazing things because you've built their confidence and you've really helped to, to reinforce that. But how else are you looking at success as it relates to the organization? How do you know when you're reaching the mark? Well, that's a really good question. We uh, do a survey to teachers. One one of their favorite things to do, and another one of our programs, is to go into schools and speak to the schools. And we have a little quiz that we give the kids. It's about a 10-question quiz. And as we walk through the quiz, we teach them, you know, just really basic things. Are we a republic or are we a democracy? And when the president takes the oath of the office, does he does he pledge to support and defend the people or the Constitution? And as we walk through the quiz, we show them some clips from some of the kids' winning works. We hand out prizes, but we uh, we always survey the teachers afterwards to see if they felt that this was helpful, if they would recommend this, if you know they would have us back in the future, and our survey results are just off the charts. I mean, like 90% plus, they feel that it is very helpful to their kids. So that's one of the ways that we measure our success. We we do a lot of measuring just our reach. You know, how many times are our YouTube videos viewed? And we're up YouTube, Vimeo, and, and social media, Twitter, Facebook. We're up over 7 million views of our, both the kids' works and some of the documentaries that we've produced. Mm-hmm. How open are schools to having you come in? Is this a a difficult collaboration? Do you have to talk them into it? Or are they like, oh, please come. This is wonderful. How does that that work? It's all over the radar. Um, Some (laughs) schools are very open to it and others are not open to it at all. But we've had a lot of success in the public schools. Mm 
Uh, across this, the country? Across the country, yes. And we do speak across the country. I'm located in Virginia, and Janine is located in Texas. We're two of the principal people that go in and speak to the schools. We also have a gentleman, Terry Cherry, who's the immediate past president of the National Council of the Social Studies. He's one of our school speakers. Uh, Jeanette Cranack is one of our school speakers. But um, the Spring Texas ISD adopted our program in their school district this past year. And we've been speaking to every single eighth grader and 12th grader in the entire school district. That's 120 middle school classrooms and 40 high school classrooms. So that's been a lot to cover. But we also speak to schools via Skype and Google Hangout because we can't afford to, you know, get on an airplane and fly all over the country and do this. The schools get excited by word of mouth. They may see, we produce little teaching clips that we post on YouTube and Facebook. And sometimes they see those and they say, hey, I'd like that in my school. And they contact us. Yeah, we've been very pleased actually with with the public schools and their reaction to us. You know, at a time when uh, we're so divided from a partisan standpoint as a country, the focus on civics education feels like something that resonates on both sides of the aisle. I don't know if you're finding that to be the case. It does. But if so, why does this continue to be a problem? How did we how did we get here? I think part of it is time. The teachers are under so much pressure these days with the testing that they have to do uh, with STEM. And, you know, we've, we've had a huge uh, emphasis on science and math, which is wonderful because we need that. But, you know, in the school day, it, something has to give, and a lot of times it is civics. I think another thing that we've discovered is that, that teachers really are not comfortable in talking about controversial subjects in the classroom. We've done some surveying on that actually because we are adding a little program on civil civic conversation, like how to have a conversation with someone that you don't agree with to our school speaking program. And we've been trying to figure out the best way to frame that so that the schools will embrace the program. Mm And what we're finding is I think something like 60% of teachers that were surveyed are hesitant to bring up a controversial issue these days in class. But as a consequence, the kids aren't really learning how to have a conversation and, and, and listen to both sides. Right. Right, and really appreciate that difference yeah. of opinion. I think yeah. that's so ironic yeah. <laughs> that yeah. that tends to be a side effect of not actually presenting civics to kids. Right, right. that's where you learn to work through right. it. Right, exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. And I think we're seeing that now in our country yeah. where people really have a hard time having a conversation with someone you know with whom they disagree. Yeah. You come to this role, I think, pretty naturally. You spent much of your career on Capitol Hill, so you worked in politics and public service for a number of years. Is that what attracted you to uh, to working with Constituting America? Well, definitely. I've always loved politics. I've loved learning about our country's system of government. Uh, you know, I started out as a business major in college, and I took one political science class at Texas A&M and just fell in love with it. And I remember calling my mom to say I want to change my major to political science. And there was a long pause on the phone. And then she said, what on earth are you going to do with that? Because <laughs> I didn't come from a political family. Yeah, I said, well, I don't know, but I love it, so I'll figure something out. You know, being involved in politics, working on the Hill, working in campaigns, a lot of times, you know, at least I felt 
it's sometimes maybe one step forward and two steps back. You make some progress and then it gets undone. And I felt like that with this program and working with young people and helping lay a foundation in their belief system and helping them learn about our country's history and our country's founding principles and and how our system of government is supposed to function, that's the kind of thing that is you know a way to have an impact that I think goes a lot further really than than anything that I've ever done before. So how did you get your start in politics? You stu- you ended up studying political science ultimately. I did. And then what happened? I really wanted to work on a campaign and I put the word out my senior year that I wanted to work on a campaign and it happened that Senator Phil Graham who had who was then the congressman for uh, the university where I was at Texas A&M decided to run for Senate so there was an open seat for that house seat there were four Republicans running and I met Joe Barden who was running and decided I you know asked him if I could help him in his campaign he said yes and uh, started working for him and no one really gave him a chance but he ended up winning the election which was wonderful and it was a great experience because he ended up in a runoff after the Republican primary then he lost the runoff by 10 votes and then won in a recount so I got to see the whole you know, anything that could happen in politics, I saw it by the time I graduated (laughs) from college. So um, I came to D.C. I thought I was coming for one year to work for Joe and then go back to Texas and met this guy named Ed Gillespie and decided (laughs) that maybe I wanted to stick around a little bit longer. So here I am still. Yeah. Yeah. So so the two of you have this amazing marriage um, inspired by politics and public service and you you all have run for governor you've and served as the chairman of the rnc you worked as as joe barton's chief of staff for many years so you've had a very interesting experience what has that public service meant to you it has meant a lot to be able to serve other people in different capacities you know i know when i was working for congressman barton one of my favorite things was being able to help constituents who were having problems and help educate them on on different ways that we might be able to to help them navigate uh, whatever obstacle they were facing at the time or or to help you know to assist in in passing legislation that could make a difference for our country and set our country in the right direction and you know, even when Ed was running, and of course we're disappointed that he didn't win, but so many good things came out of that. The The foster care problem in Virginia, for instance, got put on our radar screen in a way that had never had before. And and Ed has decided to serve on the board of America's Kids Belong because of what he learned about the needs of, of foster kids across our country, and, and especially in Virginia. You know, we were able to to go into to rehabs and and even go into the jails, and and listen to our fellow Virginians who are incarcerated and and try to find ways that to maybe help them when they come out to be able to stay out and and not go back to drugs. And so I've just you know I've always been interested in things that that we can do as individuals to to make a difference. Yeah. And I public service has has afforded, you know, both Ed and me that opportunity. And we're just, you know, really grateful. Let's go back and talk a bit more about Constituting America. And how can folks listening get involved and engaged? Are there opportunities for them to volunteer, for example? Definitely. We would love that. 
one way is anyone who has kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or neighbors, <laughs> encourage kids in your life to enter our contest because they learn so much just by entering. I like to say when kids are creating their learning and once they win, which I know that some kids out there who enter will definitely win, you know, they don't just get a trophy that they put on their shelf, which they do get a trophy. <laughs> but they also, high school kids win $1,000, uh, college kids win $2,000, middle school kids win a $200 gift card, elementary win a $100 gift card. But middle school through college age get to go on our mentor trip. And that is a really fun experience for the kids. What is that? We take kids to a different city every year. We've done Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., New York, Nashville, Hollywood. This year it'll be back in Washington, D.C. And on the trip, they get to meet people who will help them propel their careers. We break them out into their specific interest groups. The song winners get to go to a recording studio, professionally record their song. And those are the recordings that we will use when we put their songs out on Spotify and iTunes. And some of them will you know, get promoted to the radio stations. The PSA winners will go to a TV studio or talk, you know, talk to someone who is in that industry. Sometimes we will professionally re-record the PSA, depending if it needs to if it needs to be brought up to television quality. Uh, the short film winners have gotten to meet with film producer Michael Flaherty. Uh, some of the we've taken the kids on the set uh, with Gary Sinise before out in mm-hmm. Hollywood. The song winners have recorded their songs in uh, well. In the I, there's these famous recording studio that Belmont University now owns, the Quonson Huts, where Elvis recorded. But they've also recorded in Michael Bodiger's home, and he's a Grammy-winning songwriter in in Hollywood. They get experiences and make contacts that will help them as they go forward in their career. Then we also do a really intensive constitution class with Mm -hmm. the kids, something that we can go even further and deeper than we would, you know, if we just came to their classroom. Because usually in the classroom, we only have about 45 minutes. And we'll we'll spend two or three hours with the kids, you know, just really uh, going over different aspects of the Constitution. Is that in person or virtual? Yeah, in person, person. the winners on, on our winner's trip. Oh, fantastic. So we do that. Whatever city we're in, we will take them out to see some other historic sites and, you know, do some really fun and educational things as a group. So it's a wonderful experience. It's it's usually about two days, one or two nights, and these kids make lifelong friends on the trip. And it's wonderful to see all the different age groups interact because you would think middle schoolers wouldn't really be able to relate that well with the college kids but they're all united in that they care about our country they care about the constitution and they all come from sort of different political viewpoints a lot of them haven't really developed their political viewpoints yet but they love having these conversations i think i think students these days are starved for the opportunity to have conversations about issues with people that they disagree, uh, but you know, to speak in a civil manner about it, they're they're really surprised they can do that, and they're surprised how much they enjoy it when they do it. That's absolutely amazing. So, how's the best way to learn more about these opportunities, both from the standpoint of volunteering and getting engaged, but also encouraging your kids to enter the various contests? <laughs> well, go on our website, and there's all the information about the contest there on the website. The entries are due every year on September 17th, which is Constitution Day. The Constitution was signed on September 17th, 1787, and schools that receive 
public funding or federal funding are required by law, actually, to hold a program on the Constitution every year. And so a lot of times classes will have our contest as one of the first things that the kids do when they get back to school and a teacher will maybe send us a box of entries uh, from her class and that'll kind of fulfill her Constitution Day requirement. But all the details are definitely on the website for the contest. And then as far as volunteering, one of the things that we'd love for people to do is contact your school and see if your school would be interested in having us speak, Mm -hmm. either in person, if we can get to your area in person, or over Google Hangout or Skype. So one of the other things I've seen, uh, Janine's daughter, Juliet, has written, I think, two books, if I'm not mistaken, Yes. Um, on different aspects of the Constitution, right? Talk a bit mm-hmm. about those projects as well. How did they come about? Well, that is interesting. Juliet was homeschooled her eighth grade year. It was, I think it started out mainly because we, that was the year that we started constituting America in 2010, and we took a road trip across America in an RV wrapped with our Constituting America logo. It was an old RV. The refrigerator door kept falling off the refrigerator, (laughs) but we visited every contest winner in their hometown. Wow. And how many states was that? It was like 13 13 winners, but we went through a lot more states than that because it spanned from California to New York. So we hit, you know, Arizona, Wisconsin, Illinois, Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina. As a result, by the time we got back, it was already into the school year. School had started in Texas two or three weeks ago, and Janine and Juliet decided that Juliet would do her eighth grade year homeschooled. So that same year, we did a 90-day study. Another one of our programs, actually, is a 90-day study that we do every year on the founding documents on our website, where for 90 days, a constitutional scholar publishes an essay on a topic related to the study. So Juliet, as her social study, project that year, her assignment was to interpret these 90 essays on the Constitution for kids. And she did such a wonderful job that we sent her manuscripts off to HarperCollins, Zondervan, and asked if they would be interested in publishing it as a book. And they jumped on it. And and that's how the book Our Constitution Rocks came into being. And it's a really great book because it takes kids through the Constitution line by line. Article 1, Section 1, Clause 1, all the way through to the 27th Amendment. And it's it looks like it's for kids, but I use that book more than any other book as a reference <laughs> for the Constitution. And the other funny thing about the book is when Juliet was writing it, the editors at HarperCollins would question various things. I was on some conference calls with Juliet to hear some of this. And and they would say, now, is this right? And Juliet would say, oh, yes. And she would quote everything. They'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right. That's really fabulous. I love the road trip. Yeah. That's amazing. How long and did the road trip last? It was about three weeks because we were filming. So we would show up in a winner's hometown. We'd spend at least a day filming them in, in various areas, you know, around their hometown. We'd interview them about the Constitution. We'd interview their family and family friends. And we came up with a documentary that we called uh, Road Trip Across America. And it's actually it's been accepted into some film festivals and won a couple of awards. That's amazing. So. Uh, given Janine Turner's background in Hollywood and with movies, have you been able to attract some other famous faces to support the cause as well? 
Well, Gary Sinise is very supportive. He's been so great to have our kids on the set with him and, and to mentor them. He donates things every now and then to our to our online auction. And then another surprise, another actor who has, has worked with us a little, who's been very encouraging, is Richard Dreyfus. He came to an event that we did, and Janine and Richard actually did a dramatic reading of Abigail and John Adams' letters on stage, which is really fun. But Richard Dreyfus, uh, you know, just cares passionately about the Constitution and about teaching civics. While there has been lack of focus on civics education over the last several years, we are beginning to see some states on an individual basis beginning to take up the cause and beginning to refocus efforts on civics education. What are you seeing in that regard? Yes, lots of progress. Uh, there are some states that have been real leaders in this area, and hopefully other states will follow soon. Arizona, for example, Governor Ducey has has been a real leader. Uh, he worked with his legislature to get a bill passed that requires high school students to graduate before they graduate to be able to pass a certain percentage of the citizenship test, which is wonderful. North Carolina has passed some legislation to require Constitution education in their classrooms. And I know Texas has got some bills that were considered last time the legislature was in session that are going to be reintroduced in the coming session that we're very excited about that would require Constitution education as well. Do you worry at all about a patchwork approach where you have, you know, if you want to get a civics education, you've got to live in Texas or Arizona? Well, I think it's it's probably, you know, better really for it to come from, from the local governments and, and from the states. Civics education can vary widely by school district. Mm-hmm. There's some school districts that put a huge premium on it and emphasize it greatly. And in those school districts, we find the kids are, are a lot more educated on civics than in school districts where they haven't really focused on that. Kathy, you mentioned um, a 90-day study a couple moments ago. What is the next one likely to focus on? Well, the next one is going to focus on the importance of the states, actually, in the 10th Amendment. And we're really excited about that study. This will be our ninth, I believe, 90-day study. Our first one was on the Federalist Papers. And these are all archived and searchable on our website, by the way. This, then we've done the Constitution, the amendments to the Constitution. We've done the classics that inspired the Constitution, presidential elections, the executive branch, Supreme Court. The past one was the Congress. They are online, and every day for 90 days, a different constitutional scholar will publish an essay. We have an outline of the study and the different topics that we want to hit during the 90 days, and then we reach out to professors and constitutional scholars all over the country. We've had over 120 different individuals who write essays for us as volunteers, and we have over 850 essays that are ser- they're archived and searchable on our website on all these different topics. So we're very excited about this upcoming study that will launch on President's Day 2019 on state governments. When you really think about it, what happens when you don't focus on the Constitution, you don't focus on democracy and mm-hmm. freedom? You know, our Constitution starts out with the three words, we the people. And at the end of the day, we the people are responsible for our government. 
when the Constitutional Convention closed and Benjamin Franklin was walking out of Independence Hall and a woman stopped him and said, Dr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And that's our responsibility to keep our republic. And if we're not educated about how our government is supposed to work, and if we're not educated about what our freedoms are, what our rights are, then we could lose them. Because that is the natural tendency of any government is to grow. And as government grows, our freedoms tend to get smaller unless we are protecting them. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about how to get kids more educated as it relates mm-hmm. to the Constitution and our democracy. But what about adults? I mean, the reality is we have a pretty <laughs> big problem with adults. <laughs> that's very true. And that's what we noticed. And when we first started out, I mean, we started in 2010 with just our contest. And that's really all we were doing. But we had adults soon coming to us and saying, hey, you know, I want to teach my kids about the Constitution. I want them to enter your contest, but I don't know enough myself. And that's how we started our 90-day study. So I would encourage adults to first go on our website and participate in our upcoming 90-day study on on states and, and the role that uh, states play in our federal system of government. But also go back and read some of the some of the old 90-day studies. They're all there, and they can also be downloaded as PDFs. It's interactive. We allow you to make comments on our blog, and our scholars will write back and answer questions. So it's, it's really fun. Kathy, in addition to the work that you're doing with Constituting America, you also have a role to play in helping the country celebrate its 200th birthday. Talk a bit about that. Yes, I was really excited to be asked to serve on the U.S. Semi-Quincentennial Commission. It's which <laughs> It is a mouthful. And that is the commission that is going to guide the celebration of our country's 250th birthday in the year 2026, which is a lot closer than it sounds. So we've had our first... Uh, we call it USA 250 or 250, you know, for short. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've had our first meeting this past November. Uh, we've got people from all over the United States who are participating in this commission. We'll have another, that meeting was in Philadelphia. I believe our next meeting will be in uh, Washington in March. But we are very excited to get this commission going and uh, get people all over the United States excited and involved in in our country's next big birthday celebration. We're encouraging states to go ahead and get their own commissions set up and to have uh, state legislatures get involved in in figuring out what the state celebrations are going to look like. Uh, We're going to be working with different uh, departments and agencies across the federal government to make sure that they're all involved in in the celebration. But we want to, you know, get things into the classrooms and make sure that, that teachers have the resources that they need in order to to be able to to teach students about our country's founding and and about our country's birthday. Kathy, we ask every person who comes on the podcast for a single piece of advice or life hack. It can be related to your work at Constituting America, or it can be something else. It can be a mantra for life or something you've taught your children. What is yours? Mine would be keep learning. (laughs) There is so much to learn, uh, especially about our government, 
even as a political science major at Texas A&M, I had never read the Federalist Papers until I got involved in Constituting America. And it was eye-opening to read the Federalist Papers. And actually that year in that 90-day study, Janine and I each did an essay on the 85 Federalist Papers along with our constitutional scholars that were doing it. And you can read all of our essays on our website too. But that was a huge learning experience for me. And as we get older, one way to to keep our brain sharp is to keep learning. So that's what I would encourage everyone to do. That's terrific. Kathy, thank you for being here today. It's wonderful to see you. And I'm so happy to learn more about Constituting America. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful opportunity and just wishing you a a wonderful holiday. And actually, tomorrow is Bill of Rights Day, by the way. Fantastic. December 15th (laughs) is the anniversary of the ratification of the Bill of Rights. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Kathy, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. To learn more about Kathy and Constituting America, you can go to our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you'll find show notes. You'll find links to the Constituting America website, more information about Kathy, along with lots of other things that will be really helpful. You can also follow us on social media at Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.